Welcome to the Magic Hour at the Forum Club at The Athletic. I'm Andy Kamenetsky. Uh, Brian, unfortunately, is unable to make it today, but no problem because we've got a fantastic guest, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the NBA's all-time leading scorer, five rings with the Showtime Lakers, another with the Milwaukee Bucks, and hello to the Bucks fans listening right now as well. He's also a very prolific writer, author, historian, documentarian, and he's the co-executive producer of a new project debuting tonight, February 19th on History, Black Patriots, Heroes of the Revolutionary, uh, the Revolution, excuse me, a documentary honoring black heroes who fought on the front lines of the Revolutionary War for U.S. independence. Um, again, premiering February 19th, 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time. Uh, Kareem, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. No problem. Nice to talk to you. Um, you're somebody who's really devoted your life to learning and sharing history. You are, I believe, a history major at UCLA. But this is a part of American history that, admittedly, you didn't know much about growing up. Before even getting into the stuff that we learn, how, how often do you just encounter inaccuracies or incomplete history when it comes to Black history in particular and, and what's being taught in this country's school books? Well, I think too many of our history books in America do not have the right focus. I think the uh, perspective of the people who write the history books is in question. Uh, most of the history books that we uh, deal with have the perspective of trying to see how what happened in America affected people from Europe. So if you're a person of color, you're not from Europe, but your history is marginalized or, or, or eliminated. And I think that's what the problem is. Most of the history books that I dealt with when I was in grade school and high school uh, did not ever mention black people except with, uh, with exception to the two issues of slavery and civil rights. And we had no idea of uh, black people doing anything else in our country. And I, I think that's a shame. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's interesting the way you've used the phrase deal with in terms of those uh, school books. And I've, se I've seen you use that phrase in, in some other interviews talking about the documentary. And I, I think it's interesting phrasing in the sense that you're literally forced to deal with the inaccuracies and incompleteness in those books, but also that this is part of a history that just isn't being dealt with in this country in, ter in yeah. terms of just facing it. Yeah, and that, that reflects a mindset of the people who write history books that uh, people of color are irrelevant. And, you know, that's very unfortunate. Yeah, the, the documentary to me really, it underscores that disconnect between America and you know, the mission statement that supposedly was there at its formation, because you get a sense of how from the outset the colonists saw themselves as slaves to England and their laws and inequities that they thought were inherent to the system, but they're simultaneously okay with literal enslavement, you know, of, of black, black Americans, black citizens, if you want to call it that, in, in America, just that disconnect that they're not seeing. The whole idea of enslaving people because it's going to enrich you and make you wealthy is, is okay with Americans, but, uh, being subject to the whims of uh, George III, uh, Americans didn't like that. And it's kind of hard to uh, uh, get your head around it because in America, we, we've taken that for granted for so long. It, it seems rational, but it's not rational. No, and you, it's just interesting how much of that history in America continues on 
today where there's just there's certain things that we're not either willing to look at or willing to really confront, talk about in terms of how this history has been shaped. And then ultimately, I think what we can really do about it, because the roots of a lot of these problems that we have literally go back to the, the Revolutionary War and the formation of America and, and what supposedly America was about at its outset. Exactly. That, we, tr- we try to carry that forward. It, it becomes very difficult. Uh, when uh, our nation started, women were, weren't allowed to vote. Native Americans did not participate in our democracy, nor did uh, uh, blacks and other people of color. And uh, this has had a profound effect on our whole history, our legal system our justice system. Um, and it's something that we have to look at when we talk about these things. Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting, too. Um, the, the movie opens with you quoting Jackie Robinson, where you say a life is not important except for the impact that it has on others. That was uh, something that Jackie Robinson had said. And it felt to me like it's this reminder, too, of how all of history is connected because different lives have impact on other lives. And then it continues generationally. And it reminds me, too, of just the, the foundation of that continual struggle and the way, you know, things remain interconnected, obvious as that may sound, wh- whether we like it or not. How, you've written before, I, I know, uh, on, a, on a lot of different subjects about the way we need to talk about things and, you know, how, how you go about talking about, you know, difficult subjects it, it, with something like this. Do you have thoughts on just the ways that we should be talking about it in the first place? Yeah, I do. I, of course, we, we have to recognize that there are certain ironies involved in all of this. We have people like Washington and Jefferson who are slaveholders, you know, Washington, Jefferson, Patrick Henry, but they're saying they want to be free from England, uh, and, but yet they hold slaves. And they, they don't see the irony and hypocrisy in that position. Uh, but it, it, it took other people trying to achieve their freedom and their ability to be uh, seen as uh, as totally human. When you see that struggle in other people, it, it forces the people who are denying those rights uh, to, to have to grant those rights. And, and, and I think that's what we've been through here in our country. The struggle of uh, blacks, women, and uh, other people of color to to achieve first class citizenship point out the irregularities in uh, what we were talking about. It was really interesting to me in learning about this because this is a part of our history that, I, to be perfectly honest, I, I really didn't know anything about the the resistance that had been there among the American and the British armies towards using black soldiers. Because as things went along, both sides were actually using that. And it was very much viewed as this last straw option, despite you know many either freed former slaves or current slaves having been demonstrating their worthiness in the fight. And it was really only when the labor itself becomes necessary that either side starts accepting this as a viable option. And it just it really struck me as indicative of the lack of humanity being ported to to the black Americans, black slaves, and just a reminder of them not really being regarded in this situation so much as just commodities. Well, you know, people are, are very willing to, uh, to ignore certain things if, if they're going to be rich. So all of the things that I just mentioned about, uh, you know, the hypocrisy 
and irony about the slaveholders wanting to be free, that was all tied into the fact that if you own slaves here in America, you were going to be wealthy. If you had a cotton plantation, you were going to be wealthy. No question about it. So they were willing to ignore a lot of things in order to make that uh, that possibility happen. And uh, I, I think that's you know where we get caught up. Yeah, it's interesting too that uh, they there were often cases where you had owners using slaves, you know, in their place when it came to the actual fight, um, which was something I, I had no idea about. The idea that the these slaves ultimately were allowed to, if they survived gain their freedom through battling on either side. It was something being offered by both the American and the British side. Did, did you get a sense from your research in terms of where, which side they tended to gravitate towards more? Um, the slaves went to, to both sides because they, they were desperate to, to change their circumstances. Uh, the British were a lot more uh, inclined to uh, keep their word. Uh, the revolutionary side did not by and large keep their word but the british kept their word and uh, you know it, it was in that way that the british dealt with the manpower shortages that affected uh, both sides in, in the uh, revolutionary war yeah i, I was actually going to ask you about that I, it, from the research that you did it turns out that a lot of the colonists uh did not keep their word um in terms of offering that freedom right uh, but, uh james uh, Armstead lafayette who gave uh, Washington and the Comte de Lafayette the information that they used to trap uh, Cornwallis in Virginia on the Yorktown Peninsula, okay, that spy was denied his freedom when the, when the war was over. But uh, the Comte de Lafayette sent a letter to the Virginia legislator, le legislature uh, petitioning for James Armstead's uh, freedom, and they granted it. Uh, they, they felt that he deserved it. Uh, because of the help he had given uh, their side. And uh, at that point, James Armstead adapted the last name Lafayette to uh, recognize his benefactor uh, back in France. Was he one of the lucky ones in terms of actually, you know, having petitions on his behalf and eventually being granted it? Like in terms of other people Absolutely. that, yeah. Absolutely, because the, the, the dollar won out over everything. Yeah, Maybe they made them a promise, but hey, forget that promise. We're going to work this person to death because I want to make money. And right. that, that's, that was the attitude that people had. Um, what, one of the people that you highlight, there's several different people that were, were part of this period, but that I found really fascinating was Phyllis Wheatley, um, a poet. She was published, which at the time was basically unheard of. And she wrote to George Washington, encouraging him to use black soldiers. And it sounds like she was actually pretty influential towards him. And Washington was pretty taken by her words and her ability to express herself. And beyond it being just you know striking for that period, what, what really stood out to me is it being an example and an acknowledgement of intellect among people who had been slaves or in the case of Phyllis Wheatley recently freed that, you know, the, the intellect that had largely been denied among the African descendants actually really was there. If, if you bothered to look for it and nurture it. Exactly. You know, Phyllis Wheatley uh, had been taught Greek and Latin and uh, she was an accomplished poet. 
So uh, Washington was uh, really uh, impressed with who she was as a human being. And I, I'm sure that must have informed his uh, his thoughts about things because, you know, on, on his deathbed, he, he freed his slaves uh, on, they would be freed on the, upon the death of Martha. And there was one slave that had uh, been with him throughout the war. He, uh, his last name was Lee. He freed him uh, while he was, uh, while Washington was still alive. But I, I think uh, Washington's willingness to, to free his slaves upon his death uh, really uh, was something that probably that idea got into his mind from what he saw happening uh, around him, you know, um, amongst the uh, slave population. I was going to ask, did you get a sense from your research that, I mean, this is all extremely relative because obviously slavery continued long after the Revolutionary War, but that these contributions from black soldiers, black people at the time was making any type of even relative progress in terms of, you know, the, the thought process of wealthier white people in America or just that, that they were able to see even somewhat more incremental worthiness and that their mindsets were changing at all? I think it was a, a big, uh, a huge, a huge amount of diversity in the way people thought about slavery here in the United States. The state of Vermont outlawed slavery in 1777. That's just a couple of months after the Declaration of Independence. They outlawed slavery. In Pennsylvania, which was uh, run by Quakers, um, they outlawed slavery. And then in uh, other places, uh, you know, slaves were crucial to, to the economy and to people making money, and they, there was no way they were going to outlaw it or in any way inhibit the practice. So, you know, you, you, you have, you, it, it wasn't one idea and, and one thought process on it. There, there were several. And it, it was something that had to be worked out, uh, and it didn't get worked out until the Civil War. Right. And, and it's still being worked on in a lot of ways as we speak. Yeah, in, we're, in we're still time. trying to get that, that settled, you know? Um, I've seen in a few interviews where also you, you've talked about how, in part, you wanted to do this documentary to reinforce to people of color how they've always mattered in the history of this country and that this is their country, too. Do you, do you get a sense that young people of color understand this um, or it's being reinforced to them better than say it had been to you when you were a young man? Most young people of color don't understand it and they don't, when the history books they get, especially the very first ones, the grade school ones, they don't reflect black people having anything to do with uh, the fact that we have a nation. This is unfortunate and it's harmful. Uh, it's harmful to, to white people who want to look down on uh, uh, people who actually they shouldn't look down upon. And it's harmful to black people who feel that, uh, you know, they have no stake in all of this. You know, we, we've got to change that. Right. Um, you, you've obviously, it's, it's well documented how your love of jazz and you've written books about it, you've worked on documentaries about it. How much have you viewed learning about jazz as an extension of learning about or teaching black history? Do you see it through that lens? Well, you know, I, I think the uh, Harlem Renaissance uh, produced what we now call jazz and, you know, a very important part of uh, America's uh, cultural contribution to the world. 
But uh, that's something we have to learn about. You know, most Americans don't see it that way until un- unless they look at it uh, and study it for for a while, and then maybe they can see that. Uh, but uh, you know, the, when you look back, Louis Armstrong sent jazz. Uh, you know, Louis Armstrong and people like him from his generation sent jazz around the world. You know, the twenties yes. and thirties were called the jazz age. And also, too, there was there was that acceptance around the world. I think not just of of the music itself, but of, of the artists creating it. You know, like an, an appreciation, exactly. yeah, that that wasn't there in in America, even if this is being born in America. Exactly. Um, I I wanted to ask you too um, with a question regarding Kobe, and in particular about his the second act that he was creating for himself after basketball, which reminded me a lot of what you've been doing in terms of either artistic pursuits, literary pursuits, um, you know, things that really in a lot of ways had nothing to do with basketball or nothing directly to do to basketball, you know, that you see in a lot of uh, ex-athletes. Just your impressions of Kobe, that that second act and, and the things that you were looking forward to seeing from him. Well, I, I thought Kobe had a whole lot to offer the world in terms of, you know, his own talent to, uh, you saw where he won the Academy Award for that uh, poem that he wrote. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, as a parent and as uh, someone who had uh, business ideas and creative ideas, uh, we were just beginning to see something from him. And, you know, we're going to miss out on all that. that, that that's very unfortunate. But you, you knew Kobe for obviously a long time. Did, did you see those sides of him forming? You know, during over the course of his playing career, just like the 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 type of curiosity to explore things that really had nothing to do with sports. No, I, I didn't get a chance to see that because uh, you know I didn't see him on a daily basis. Uh, you know, I only got to see the the finished products when they came out. But uh, you know, he hadn't been retired that long, and you know, they here they go. So uh, yeah, that that didn't surprise me at all. Though you know that 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 aspect of it didn't surprise me. And then uh, the the last question I'd have for you is just how much of black history do you think remains either largely untold or entirely untold? And just how much do you think there still really is to learn? And and are there particular areas that you'd like to focus on yourself or see more brought to light by other historians? Well, I I just think that uh, what we call black history is just American history that has been marginalized. Yes. And, uh, you know, when that attitude changes, then we will keep it in perspective and uh, deal with uh, a lot of the uh, unfortunate uh, efforts that were made to margin- to marginalize and eliminate uh, people of color f- from our history books. As frustrating as frustrating as it is to know that that history isn't being told, is there still at least some level of excitement for you? When, when you actually learn it for the first time and th- that discovery process? Well, you know, I'm excited that I get a chance to uh, share this with the American public and, and the people at History have, have given me that, that opportunity. So I'm very thankful for that. You know, that to me is progress. I'm not going to complain about what hasn't been told up to this point. Uh, a door has opened and they've allowed me to walk through it. And I'm very thankful. Uh, you know, they gave us the opportunity to do it right. Uh, you'll see that when when you watch it, and uh, you know we're just going to move forward from here. Again, the documentary is called "Black Patriots: Heroes of the Revolution." It airs tonight, February nineteenth, ten o'clock Eastern and Pacific, nine o'clock Central on History. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, this was a real pleasure. Thank you very much. 
Nice talking to you. You have a great day.